Hi, and welcome to Conversations to Connect. I'm Fenella Hawksley, and this podcast is brought to you in collaboration with the Campaign to End Loneliness. Social isolation and loneliness are widespread and can have a huge impact on health, happiness and overall well-being. All people of all ages need connections that matter and on this podcast we will be hosting conversations to share insights, knowledge and research to inspire change and to help people feel more connected. On today's episode, I'm here with Dr. Rada Modgill, GP, media personality and medical expert for BBC Radio One, campaigner, broadcaster and author. Dr. Rada is also an ambassador for the National Academy of Social Prescribing and offers empowering advice to help take control of their own health and well-being. Welcome, Rada. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. It's a real delight to be here. Thank you so much, Vanella, for having me on. How are you? I'm doing all right, thank you. Not too bad, yeah. It's been, it's been a busy, busy start of the year. I'm glad it's almost spring. I, I have to say, I do count down January uh, and half of February. And if I'm through still half of February, I'm like, okay, I'm almost there. As soon as it's March, that's springtime. <laughs> I'm definitely more of a spring-summer person. Yeah, I know what you mean. You can kind of see it getting a bit lighter at 5pm now, which is really exciting. <laughs> So I wanted to get you on the podcast to talk loneliness as a public health issue, because I think it's one of the topics that isn't spoken about as much as potentially some other health issues. And I think in terms of the medical impacts, those are also quite unknown. So my first question to you is, why do you think loneliness is such an important issue? And when did you first start noticing it as a health issue? Yeah, really great questions. I think loneliness is a massive, massive public health issue. I think when I look around myself, not just in my professional life as a GP, seeing patients, but also as a, you know, as a broadcaster, as someone who's done a lot of work with all people of all different ages, right from children all the way through to, to older people, but also as a human being myself, we all, you know, what I've noticed is we, we all we all feel lonely from time to time. And I think our fundamental basis of well-being relies on connection you know as humans we need connection we're social creatures we, we thrive from connection and being almost held I suppose in a bit of a community and in all of those different roles I've just come across so many people in fact everybody really from time to time will have an element of loneliness and or feeling lonely for whatever reason and I just think that it has such an impact not just on our mental health and our emotional health but also we now know from research and really useful sort of quantitative research that chronic loneliness can be just as bad for our physical health as smoking 10, 15 cigarettes a day. So it's not just the, the emotional side of it or the mental health side of it, which seems obvious if we think about it, it's also the impact on our physical health. And I think probably the reason we haven't focused on it so much up till now is many reasons. One, I think it's still very much stigmatised, so we still don't want to really talk about the fact that we do feel lonely, in particular age groups, younger people particularly, you know, teenagers, early 20-year-olds, you know, that the whole basis of their sort of kudos, if you like, is to be seen as social and to have lots of friends and to be networking. And it's still seen, there's still comes some shame, I think, associated with someone saying, I'm lonely or I feel alone. And equally, you know, as we get older and we have different life challenges, either we have bereavements or perhaps we have a, a child or we have a change in job or we move locations, you know, all of these things can add or trigger episodes of loneliness. 
But I think all of us, whatever age we are, feel still that certain sense of shame about actually vocalising it. But I, th- I also think we're not very good as a society to look at sort of qualitative type things. We, we like the kind of the, the black and white, you know, you smoke this much and this is what happens to you. Or the kind of more tangible things, I suppose, the, the easier things to talk about. We're not so good at talking about the harder things and the things which perhaps are under the surface of what a lot of people are experiencing. I think the pandemic helps a lot in terms of raising the issue of loneliness and us talking about it more. But I feel like we've almost gone a few steps back since that. And we're almost not really talking about it as much as we should have done. Mm-hmm. And I think the pandemic was a good wake up call for that. But I think we need to now take that forward. And I think that's why it's so key to us talking about it more, but also not just talking about it, actually doing things, tangible things to actually make a difference to reduce it. Why do you think we've taken a step back since the pandemic? I think, understandably, there was a lot of trauma, obviously, associated with the pandemic. And I think a lot of us, most of us, all of us, in fact, are still trying to start processing, actually, the the trauma that we experienced from that. I've noticed a lot of people in my various different roles only starting now to process exactly what's happened to them. I think society... The general message is let's move on that's over with and, and I think also people are, people are tired of talking about it as well understandably you know tired of, of seeing it in the news and having it as a as a topic that's being spoken about so I think for various reasons and all of them understandable I think we've pushed pushed it down but I think actually you know if we don't talk about it and continue to have that as a topic in our minds I think we're going to experience a lot more trauma and have lots of people who haven't actually processed the trauma that they went through I'm finding just you know by talking to patients that if I'm if I'm kind to them or I just ask them a, a question like how's the last few years been even if they're not talking about that with me they start crying or getting really emotional and they start to open up and they almost they're almost shocked with their own response I think so I think we have taken a few steps back but I think given time and given how we, we, we are all going to have to process what we went through these subjects and topics will come back again and, and they will kind of stay in our consciousness, I think. I, mean, I hope so for the, for the long term in a, in a tangible way. We almost did a human experiment in loneliness. What happens when you force social isolation on a, a huge, well, basically all the population? I was also seeing that burnout is rising across workplace, so workplace stress. And one of the big causes of that is feelings of loneliness and isolation. So I think you're right, we will see it. And we kind of already are seeing the impact that it's had. Yeah, yeah, like you say, I mean, we all had very different circumstances, didn't we, during the pandemic, but I think all of us, no matter who we were, um, the one thing we all experienced in different ways, in different contexts was loneliness, actually, and, and feeling isolated. And some of us are still in that space of actually not having sort of re-engaged back into the world for various reasons. So um, I think sometimes our attitude generally in sort of media and everything is like, yes, it's great to be back out there, but are we actually talking about everybody here and are we actually being inclusive of how people are actually feeling? And why do you think it's more stigmatised than smoking or obesity? I think because we're not very good as a society talking about things that sort of that life events. I think we haven't really linked life and what happens in life or the emotions of life, if you like, to our health. We're, we're, we're sort of better at looking at sort of tangible things that we might put in our bodies or we might be exposed to. But I think we're not very good at talking. For example, we're not very good about talking about death, which is absolutely part of life. We're not very good at talking about divorce or relationship breakdown. 
we're not very good at talking about change and how to manage life and so I think we're not I think we're not so good at managing the sort of the linking if you like life events and the experience of living with our health and you can't separate those two life is not just what happens to us in terms of what we put in our bodies or what we eat or drink it's so much more than that and because that's less easy to see or less easy to I suppose to quantify we tend to just ignore it and push it away and say well you know we don't really we don't really want to talk about that because we can't necessarily find an easy answer and I think sometimes you know we, we have to look more deeply at the sources of of issues and, and realize that we're not people in isolation that we have many different facets to what impacts and affects us and I think also you know loneliness is not spoken about very much because it's also an element of loneliness is about our relationship with ourselves and I don't think we're very good at talking about self-esteem and confidence and you know reflecting on who we are and discovering who we are we tend to sort of go along in this very templated the model if you like of what we should achieve but we don't really focus on perhaps who we are and actually how to develop ourselves as people and I suppose it's not a quick fix western medicine is amazing and we have so many medications that can help people and operations but that I guess they are focused on treating a symptom or and rather than maybe a more holistic approach which is why I think your work with social prescribing is so important would you like to talk a bit about your role as a social prescribing ambassador and what social prescribing is for people who've never heard of it before yeah definitely so like you say I work with the National Academy for Social Prescribing and I came across them actually on social media just before the pandemic because I was getting more interested as a medical doctor in how nature and arts and music and connection and all these other things were really great for our health and our well-being and social prescribing is all about that but it's also about connection social prescribing is a way to connect individuals to their local community through activities and there are lots of layers of sort of benefit if you like to that so for example if you were to take someone who was at home was perhaps lonely isolated maybe had some difficulties with their finances and all of that was contributing to them feeling very low in their mood for example the traditional idea would be to go to a GP the GP would talk to the patient maybe they'd prescribe medication or maybe they wouldn't but that would kind of be it they might talk about some talking therapies potentially social prescribing is about offering that GP the option to refer the person to a link worker and that link worker is basically someone that the person would go and see sit down with they'd say right tell me what's going on in your life tell me what problems you're facing tell me about your loneliness tell me about your financial issues tell me about how you're doing in general and they would then signpost that person onto for example a debt advice service that might help them with their money worries they might refer them onto a gardening club that will connect them with people that will help reduce their loneliness or a music club or a woodwork club or a fishing club for example or a community choir whatever that person enjoys they would then signpost them on to a group so you've not only got the the activity which we know being out in nature is great for our health but you've also got the benefits of connection and people feeling heard and listened to and seen and valued and and therefore reducing that sense of loneliness so social prescribing is really a way to look at healthcare in a like you said in a very much more holistic way and to almost kind of tackle those sort of life problems if you like which impact our health at the source rather than just looking at medication alone that person may be prescribed medication in parallel with or they may not be but it's just another facet I suppose or another way to support people with what they're facing and joining up those sort of life problems and life events 
with their health and well-being. Yeah, I was listening to a podcast about social prescribing and it was saying that sometimes people visit repeatedly GPs because they're feeling really lonely. And when you are feeling like you've got a real lack of connection, your immune system can get lower and you can get more ill. So maybe you would need to visit the GP more often. Yeah, it's also that people actually visit their GP often about problems which aren't necessarily GP-led or, or, or physical-led, if you like. They often visit their GP with worries about money or housing or loneliness, for example, those kind of problems which are potentially kind of you can see as as, as coming from life uh, as opposed to necessarily a sort of a physical problem. So you're right, so you know, evidence has shown actually that, you know, in some studies that, you know, awareness of support services has increased and also, you know, visits um, led to reduced GP and A&E visits, for example, when people have been linked up with a social prescribing project and also that it is actually effective in reducing loneliness. So not just not just that in isolation, but also improving well-being and confidence and the sense of purpose, I think, which are those those elements of health and well-being, which, again, because they're difficult to quantify, sometimes we don't always focus on. But the whole point of, again, one of the elements of, social, of the social prescribing academy is to actually try to quantify that and to look at the evidence and to build the evidence base behind that so that we can actually quantify those things so people can actually value them, I suppose, and see them for what they are. So you said that you're interested in art and music and the effect that this has. Are there examples of that within the social prescribing network? Yeah, so as part of my role at the Academy, I'm lucky enough to go and visit lots of different projects around the country and film what people are up to and actually the impact it's having on people's lives. So I've been up to an amazing music group in Manchester who are supporting older people to go once a week to play instruments and to sing and to connect and chat, which is just fantastic. So some of the stories from that and the benefits for those people there were just beautiful and, and really captured so lovely one of our films. I've been down to Brighton to um, one of the libraries there to see what they're doing and how they bring people together there. So we've had mixtures of older people there who felt very isolated, but also young mums, for example, who felt quite alone and how they've come together through their love of books and reading and how that library is a bit like a community hub. It's been beautiful. So, so many different examples of that lots of community choirs that are all over the country as well art projects projects that encourage and support men to come together to do woodwork for example and help them with their mental health lots of um, projects that are now being developed for children and young people one called street games for example so there's loads of different projects going on all over the country some with music in mind some with heritage in mind some with nature in mind and some with like sport and physical activity so loads of different things that people are doing and very innovative ways of of bringing people together and again it's not it's that sort of difference I suppose between there's the activity but then there's the activity in a group with that connection and I think that's the the difference that that can make for people who are struggling to get out and some of the stories that I've come across have been absolutely beautiful and just you know people just saying you know if I didn't have this group you know I just wouldn't know what to do with myself my life would still be feeling very grey and without that kind of sense of community and purpose. So it's been really lovely to see those projects and people making a difference. People don't want something to help them with their loneliness because you don't want like a loneliness group. This is what I'm talking about with Robin. But if you can have a music group doing two things at once, it's creating joy, you're doing an activity that you enjoy, you're with people, and then it's also helping combat loneliness. Absolutely. And again, it's all about giving that person 
choice and control over what they want to do. So what do they enjoy? What do they want to do? You know, some people will love gardening or they might have forgotten about gardening. Other people will absolutely can't stand gardening and would rather go and go for swimming club or something or walking football. So it's very much about, again, supporting that person to make their own choices and to have control over what what they will be signposted to, which I think, again, has an added extra benefit of building self-esteem and confidence and you know, supporting that person to get their autonomy back as well, which I think is really key and really important. But also, as you, as you mentioned, some of the activities are also beneficial for very specific health conditions. So, for example, we know, for example, that, that music is incredible for people who live with dementia in terms of helping them with retrieving memory or helping reduce agitation, for example. There's an amazing project that the English National Opera did called ENO Breathe where they took people who had had COVID and through singing and building up their singing skills and, and having a, a singing group, they actually improved lung function and lung capacity after they've had COVID through COVID through part of COVID recovery. So it's really interesting that there are very specific activities, which again can be tailored for people with specific health conditions, as well as those more general things that potentially we all feel like loneliness, and, and stress and, and anxiety, for example, there is so much of option and so much opportunity for that to be really, really personalised for whatever that person actually has or whatever medical conditions they have as well. Wow, I didn't know that about music and dementia. Yes, yeah, there's built, there's lots of building research about that actually, which is fascinating. And I think there's going to be even more research coming out in the future around music and the power of music. The last episode was actually with Brixton Chamber Orchestra about how music is used to bring communities together. They do community concerts. Oh, wow. That's lovely. Yeah. And also it releases endorphins listening to music and dancing with people and singing. Oh, it's amazing, isn't it? (laughs) It's amazing. And I think, well, it's just a way to express yourself, isn't Mm -hmm. it? I think, again, you know, sometimes when we have challenges in our lives or we have felt very lonely, you know, it's another way to express ourselves not just through talking but singing and art and you know gardening and woodwork whatever you kind of make that's that's a a way you can express who you are and the more you're seen by other people and the more you can express who you are the better you feel the more confident you feel so it's there's so many beautiful benefits I think which we don't even really realize until we think about them definitely and I think this links very clearly onto your book know your own power because what you've just said there where you are empowering people with the choice of what what activities they choose and how they are in a way taking control of their own health and relationships and connectivity that's really what your book is centered around so what made you want to write this book yeah it's such a good question I think I think that that book was probably written inside me already for probably quite a number of years before I actually wrote it down on a I know I was gonna say a bit of paper but it was on my computer during the pandemic so I say so I've been doing my broadcasting sort of media work for about 13 14 years now and all of my work or I've always been attracted I suppose to talking about topics which are not spoken about very much which people don't really potentially want to talk about because I think if they're not being spoken about they need to be talked about even more but I just you know through my through all the stories that I've heard on radio and tv and different bits of writing and like I say, all my different jobs that I have, I've just, I, I just thought, gosh, you know, we're all going through such challenges in life. We all have so many different challenges in life and life is so tough sometimes. And yet there are all these incredible people who have been through this, that and the other 
and you know they've all learned or they've all had experience in what can help them and what can get them through that and I just thought oh I'd love to write a book on kind of how to do life like how to get through life because no one ever tells you that no one ever says to you right life might present you with this problem and that problem and here are some tips about how you could actually maybe get through that and so I thought I'd love to write a book literally to, you know from that starting point I suppose of everything falling down around you those real crisis moments when everything just seems absolutely horrendous how do you kind of survive that how do you then work out why it happened what's happened and then how do you then move forward into something maybe more aligned with yourself and how do you thrive through that process so how do you thrive through difficult experiences in life and so that's what the book really does it takes you from that absolutely awful crisis point in you know, through those different stages and hopefully out the other side and I think really for me I've, I've always I've always wished that I could you know, someone could just give me a, a set of rules about how <laughs> how, to, how to do life and how to you know, how to manage life so, so my book really is an attempt to do that I suppose but not not uh, some of them are less obvious than others so you might you know some of them kind of seem fairly obvious about habits and things like that but there are some other ones which you know we don't really talk about you know like giving yourself time and patience and um, learning how to comfort yourself and self-soothe and learning to give up for just a short period of time sometimes because you need to process things and things about finding purpose and how you're going to move things forward and a lot about relationships and how to deal with relationships with yourself and with other people so it was never intended to be about how to get through life but it ended up being about that. It's so nice because when you're in that crisis moment you think it's just you and so having a book that says other people have been through this too and you can use this it's an opportunity it's to learn something and then it is true a lot of times after a crisis you're like oh like it changed my life in a maybe in a positive way or in a completely different way I like where you say it's okay to just cancel your plans and take some time for yourself Yes, definitely. Well, we're told, like, so often we're told the opposite, aren't we? It's like, come on, get up, get on with it. Get, and you're like, really? Like, it's actually the best thing to do right now? It's like, not give up on yourself, but give up on the expectation of, you know, that you should get straight back up there and, you know, the expectation that you should sort everything out now. It's like, no, that's not just how our body needs time to process from a physical illness. We need time to process from a big life challenge or a big setback. And that's okay. Life is, that's an all right thing to do. Because we're so often told the opposite messages, aren't we? Which is not helpful. <laughs> so true. And if you are feeling like exhausted and burnt out, then doing all the social obligations that you have to do on top of trying to deal with what you're going through is just too much. But I think it's in those times when you're not feeling that great that you can, like you said, neglect to look after yourself, but try and fulfill all the duties that aren't that maybe are even more detrimental to your health. Yes, definitely. Well, when I say to people, it's about how to get through life, they're like, how many pages is that? (laughs) But I think I I also, I think I, you know, I thought for a long time about what what the title should be. And that's the hardest bit of a book, I think, is the title. But the reason I called it that really is because I, I suppose I wanted people to know that actually the strongest and most sustaining place that you can find advice from is actually yourself. It's just a matter of quieting things down, getting the right people around you. But you you know all the answers and and no one else, you know, is in a better place than you to be able to understand what's gone on in your life and to move things forward. And I and I really wanted people to know that, to know that actually they, you know, we all have that inside ourselves. It's just a matter of learning 
some tools and tricks and uncovering that in yourself but we all know what the best thing for us to do is and what we can do and sometimes we're like completely astounded like you said Fenella like wow did I really get through that that's that's incredible <laughs> I didn't know I could do that so yeah through challenge comes a little bit of a gift in that but at the time obviously it's very hard to to see that mm. And I think it is empowering knowing that the crisis may be caused by external factors that you can't control, but you can control how you respond to it and the best way to help you get through that the easiest way possible. Yeah, it's very, I mean, a lot of what I say, not just in the book, but generally is actually, I think, very simple. But I, but I think there is power in simplicity. I think, you know, we've often in many different areas, we've become so complex in how we approach things and actually I think we've become so complex and so up in our brains if you like that we've forgotten all the basic things and I think it's the basic things which almost we need to like relearn now and remember and so a lot of the stuff that I say I think actually is just going back to those really basic things that we've totally forgotten about because we've just got so you know life is so busy and so so kind of fast paced and we're told that we should be achieving this that the other all the time and and sometimes we don't even have time to actually stop and actually be like actually what are the basic things I need to do today to make myself feel a tiny bit better and it's literally I think sometimes as simple as that you know sometimes I worry I'm making things too simple but um, I think in in a very complex world simplicity is probably something that is is needed a lot more. No I think it's beautifully written and if someone's going through a crisis they don't want to be reading something really really difficult to understand I think that would be quite stressful. I once went to a really difficult yoga class when I wasn't feeling that good and everyone was doing headstands and it was not (laughs) (laughs) You don't be reading War and Peace when you're going through something really tricky in life no not not no not that long. (laughs) Oh my gosh definitely. And what you said about we've lost the basics, I think human and social connection, it's a human basic need, especially with the pandemic, we were forced to cut off a lot of those social connections. Obviously, we have Zoom and we have online, but it isn't the same. So it's like going back to basics of what makes us actually happy and human. Absolutely. And I often think, you know, children and animals are just brilliant examples of brilliant reminders, actually, because, you know, Children know, children know that being with their friends makes them happy, you know, animal like our, our animals, like my, my lovely dog that's downstairs at the moment, like knows that he likes being around people and having a tummy rub or being talked to. And I think however old we get, those things never change. And I think we still may kind of proudly claim those things back for us as adults, because I think as adults, we're almost made to believe that we can't ask for what we need or if we if we say that we need something really basic like a hug that we're not adult enough whatever that means (laughs) whereas you know for for me I know that having having a hug or someone holding my hand that to me always makes me feel better and and why shouldn't it so I think sometimes we we can become a little bit too adult-like in inverted commas and it's almost like we have to cut off that very sort of basic side of us which like you said Fenella is all about connection it's feeling heard it's feeling seen it's being listened to it's feeling valued it's feeling part of something it's being like if you didn't if you didn't turn up someone would miss you you know these are all the things that make us want to get out of bed in the morning and make us feel happy and make us want to give back to our society and you know connect connecting to our society makes us want to look after our community and look after other people and so, so it all it's a big circle of benefit and it's a big circle of reciprocal action, if you like. And, and connection is at the very heart of, of that circle. 
And I think if we lose that, then we soon realise as individuals, but also as a society, as a world, we soon realise actually how destructive that can be when we actually lose it. So like you said, I think just thinking about what makes you feel good in a day, what three things are guaranteed to make you feel a bit better? One for me is talking to someone or someone telling me that they love me or having a hug from someone or making me or they're making me a cup of tea. You know, it's very simple and yet so, so fundamental. In a way, our life becomes so modern and fast paced. And then actually what we really need is to just be around our family and friends and also be in nature. I think that's something that people did learn as well over the pandemic. Connection and nature to free (laughs) activities that really replenish your well-being. Definitely. Yes. I mean, nature, the reason we feel so good in nature is because that is also connection isn't it like we feel connected to the world around us we're, we're not separate from the world around us. we've done we've done a lot in our modern world and how we live to separate ourselves like you know how we get our food and the fact that we're always on screens we're not really outside very much we, we drive cars for example we've done loads of things of society that almost separate us from the outside world and nature and so when we're in nature we kind of feel that connection again to actually that being part of us our bodies are affected by the daylight hours and the cycles, the daylight and nighttime, you know, our hormones respond to that, our hormonal systems. So, of course, we're connected to nature. We, we can't not be, and yet our way of living does that. So I think the reason that we feel so good in nature is because we rediscover that connection, that aspect of, of that word connection so clearly, which I think is so important as well to, to remember. Always connecting to music, you know, and the lyrics of the music, and you're connecting to a part of yourself, aren't you, which again is not often spoken about with loneliness we tend to think about connection with other people but I think it's really important to add into that conversation connection with ourselves and who we are and what makes us tick and what makes us kind of happy and what we can do to to kind of live our our best lives as it were. In your book Know Your Own Power it's about helping people understand their own power themselves and giving them the tips to take control of their own well-being what simple advice would you give to people to help them take control if that's possible (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's a really really good question probably my best bit of advice I think I would give or the best bit of advice I give myself is to bring it back to moment to moment choices actually so it sounds really simple but if I'm having a day where I'm feeling really overwhelmed or a bit anxious or a bit low and your brain is full of all these worries and all these problems, I literally tried to take it right back into this moment and say to myself, in this moment, what can you do or what choice can you make that might make you feel a little bit better or might help you feel a little bit better? So, for example, you know, go, going, picking up the phone and ringing someone, going outside for a walk, going to have a bath. What, what is that tiny little thing? And it may just be a tiny little thing, but what is that tiny little thing that can help you take that first step, which will then open up the possibility you might feel a little bit better. Because once you feel a little bit better, you can then take another step and another step and another step. I know it sounds really simple, but I think bringing all of that down to, right, saying to yourself, in this moment, what's the one thing that I can do? Or what's the choice that I can make in this moment that might help me to feel a tiny little bit better? And then starting to then get into the habit of asking yourself that question, acting on it sometimes we can we can act on it we can we can take that better choice sometimes we don't that's okay but acting on it noticing that makes you feel better and doing it again and again and again until you realize that actually whatever's going on there is always an element 
it's not easy always and some people don't have as much choice but there's always an element of choice and, and getting used to that idea that actually there's something in you which can take control of that situation and can make a better choice for yourself which can then feed into that idea that actually you care about yourself you're worth caring about and that actually that builds self-confidence and self-esteem for you to do that ongoing as well thank you I really like that we always end this podcast on two questions so the first question is when were you last lonely oh when was I last lonely probably probably last week actually last week I think because one of my one of my family has not been very well and so I was having to go and look after them and I came back from having looked after them and just felt very worried about the future and what was going to happen and yeah I just felt very sort of very lonely with it not that now I'm lucky enough not to be alone with that if I didn't want to be but just being a little bit alone with that and feeling a little bit lonely with what to do with that I suppose but I think that's the reason I I say that is because I think it's important for people to also hear that sometimes moments of loneliness are actually useful as well they are sometimes necessary because you have the space to process something to feel something so I guess I, I mentioned that just to help people who might be listening to know that actually sometimes that loneliness is there or that feeling of loneliness is there for a purpose potentially for you to help help you process something and what advice would you give to someone to help them feel more connected I think the best bit of advice I would give people probably a bit twofold well the first thing is I think I'd just say is to just do it (laughs) so I think just to act just to take a little step to connect in some way or the other to anything that you can do I think sometimes people sort of say to yourself or say as a bit of advice you know uh, realize that you're worth that or realize that you're worth you know that connection or you know believe in yourself and and but actually I think action drives that belief I think it's difficult when you've been lonely or you're facing a lot of struggles to get that belief in yourself and that confidence first of all as the first step I think if you just act and just take a small little step with some support from someone else maybe that one little step and that outcome will then build that feeling that actually you deserve that connection you're worth it that sense of kind of caring for yourself so I would say as a very famous slogan does (laughs) just just do it just do it you've got nothing to lose you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain even just to walk outside that can slowly build your confidence small social interactions in the day those can slowly build your confidence you're right so just taking the one first small step into doing something absolutely there's been a lot of research actually that that is actually kind of more of a habit that we get out of the habit of how to read other people's body language and what they're saying to us when we haven't had a lot of social connection which tends to then get worse but like you say go out and even if you haven't got a letter to post write a letter and and go walk down to the post box and post it because you know during the pandemic I used to go for a walk every morning and I remember seeing an older lady who used to sit in her living room window every morning I didn't know her she didn't know me I just decided to wave wave at her through the window and she waved back every single morning which made me feel so much better and hopefully made her feel a bit better and there's there's a pub near me where I live and there's a gentleman who goes there with his dog every single day for an hour and a half and sits there and just has that sense of being somewhere in in a group of people so you know whatever it is smiling at someone down the road like you said that builds that habit that builds that confidence and then it's just those small steps which add up to sort of taking a, a bigger step in the end as well I think. If someone is experiencing loneliness and they want to go to their GP or talk to someone about it where do you recommend that 
they could go for further support reading or or even social prescribing yeah so uh, yeah i definitely say have a chat with your gp have a look on the national academy of social prescribing's website for more ideas and more detail about social prescribing and what it is and maybe that you can self-refer for example into a community project or an activity around you have a look at incredible organizations like yours for example you've got resources on this and actually have got some, some subject material on that as well because i think it's really important the more you read about it the less stigmatized it you know you feel about it and i think you know i would just take very sort of small steps like we said before of talking in your local area to people connecting with people and i think one of the most important things i would say is to be able to just to realize that actually any person that you pass on the streets, every single person will have felt lonely and maybe you're feeling lonely right now. So, you know, you're not on your own. It's perfectly natural, normal and appropriate feeling to feel. So literally just to let someone, anyone know, because once you start opening up about it, I'm sure other people will also start to share their experiences. And with that comes that sense of actually, I'm not alone in feeling lonely. So I think just any of those, any of those things I think will hopefully help people. Thank you so much. Lovely talking to you. Oh, it's my pleasure for having me on. It's been really interesting. Thank you.